The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Here to set you free. Happy Thursday, the Thursday before our long Labor Day weekend. How you doing? I'm Leslie Marshall. Good afternoon and welcome or welcome back to the only true democracy in talk radio. We more than welcome back Scott and Paul. Scott is president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, the AAM, and they're a partnership established by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers Union. For the past five years, Scott and AAM have worked to make American manufacturing a top of mind issue for voters. I know it's become a top of mind issue for many of you if it hasn't been a top of mind issue already and for our national leaders and they've done it through effective advocacy innovative research and a savvy pr strategy more than a pleasure to have back on the program happy thursday scott and paul hey scott good afternoon leslie happy happy afternoon to you and also i uh, hope you have a great labor day weekend oh coming up. you One too of my favorite weekends of the year you too anything special planned uh, just lots of celebration with the uh, with with the family, and also you know raising a glass to the working men and and women of our country, uh, yeah. and honoring them. Absolutely, they deserve a day off and a long weekend, um, as do most, and I think that's uh, very admirable. Well, we have our 114th Congress almost halfway through its term. This is a Congress, as you know, Scott, that polls show Americans think is a do-nothing Congress. And really, when you look at their track record, it's pretty true that they've not done much. There's still a lot to do. Now, you guys at the Alliance for American Manufacturing put together a to-do list, and you did it shortly after the midterm elections this past fall in November. And, of course, let me guess – Many things on that list uh, from this do nothing Congress has Congress done, Scott? <laughs> they, they let's put it this way: if they were being graded in school, uh, they'd have a big F on um, on their report card right now. There's uh, there's a lot of and Leslie, we're talking about things that are important to like manufacturing here, not even like the budget and other things they kind of have to get done and the debt. Uh, the, the debt ceiling and what have you that uh, to, to make sure that our government can you know can function. Uh, I mean the, the uh, uh, but but things like advancing um, some some economic policy to help the manufacturing sector that is uh, that's definitely been an afterthought. Let's talk about this list. Let's take them one at a time. Something the president has constantly talked about with regard to job growth and with regard to necessity, because you and I have discussed at length the necessity for this uh, issue. It's a crisis, and that is to tackle America's infrastructure crisis. Um, First of all, remind folks why we call it a crisis, because it truly is. And secondly, why this should be first and and top of this list. Yeah, yeah. well, Leslie, anybody anybody who drives around and either sits in traffic or is on a congested uh, transit system or who has seen kind of a dilapidated bridge 
uh, knows what we're talking about. It's uh, we we are barely, in fact, we're not even able to keep pace with just ongoing maintenance of our uh, roads, uh, our, our highways, our bridges, and our and our transit systems, and uh, and, and they are crumbling. Um, and so it is. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of federal money that, that traditionally goes into it, but over the past uh, number of years, and, and it's going back seven years now, uh, there hasn't been a long-term infrastructure program. And so we're, you know, it's like you're at the end of your, your cell phone plan and you're going month to month. Well, that's not the way to run an infrastructure program because uh, folks engaged in construction need long-term planning horizons. I mean, these things don't materialize overnight. You have to plan for the manpower, for the materials, uh, to work on the projects. And so it becomes much more complicated if, there, if there's not a guaranteed long-term funding stream. Uh, so Congress, you know, once again, hasn't lived up to its obligation, uh, put together a long-term uh, funding plan, and so we've just we've been patching it like a pothole. But as you know, those potholes reappear uh, uh, when 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 they get. In fact, they become sinkholes in some places. <laughs> they sure they sure do, and they eat up a lot of axles and tires and transmissions and mufflers and everything else along with them. I also want to remind folks, and we've talked about this at length before, Scott, but I think it's good in doing this list, for people that say, well, Scott, Leslie, Congress is a do-nothing Congress, and one of the reasons is they can't agree on anything. Infrastructure is one area where many of them do agree. There's great bipartisan support and agreement on this issue, right? Yeah, there's huge support. I mean, you have uh, Rich Trumpka, the president of the AFL-CIO, the labor movement, and you have Tom Donahue, the president of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, who disagree on almost everything, right? I mean, labor laws, regulation, you name it, they're at odds. But on infrastructure, they're united. And, you know, business and labor together usually makes a, an incredibly powerful combination. And then you do have, you're, you're right, Leslie, a, a group of Republicans uh, who, who want to do something. But unfortunately, this whole process is held hostage by uh, a group of kind of Tea Party-influenced Republicans uh, who think that even extending the existing gas tax uh, it amounts to a, a tax increase on the American people. And so they, they've been unfortunately successfully holding a long-term infrastructure program uh, hostage uh, for, for a long time now. And, you know, these things don't get cheaper. Uh, they don't get easier to fix. In fact, they get a lot harder. Uh, and we fall farther behind. And, and look, we're in global competition. And in manufacturing, we're particularly in global competition. So if Mexico's building out its infrastructure, if Japan's building out its infrastructure, uh, and if China's doing it, and if we're not, ultimately firms that are in global competition and are located in the United States are going to lose out. And that's exactly what's happening. I also want to touch upon, before we get to others on the list, that although people, Scott, may not say we're in a strong economy, we're, we're not stronger than we were in the recession and we're growing. I want to ask you, in a strong economy, you know manufacturers and other businesses, in order to keep business growing and build upon that, you need an efficient, reliable transportation network to get your goods into the market. Do you think this is an example of build it and they will come? In other words, our economy is not as strong as we'd like, but it could be stronger if we provided 
the efficient, reliable transportation network in America. So if we build it, the infrastructure, they will come, the money will come, the strong economy will come. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And and every firm, uh, every every large firm, has the ability to calculate these costs and and what they lose due to congestion or due to uh, maintenance on their equipment. Uh, And time is money when you're controlling inventories and you want to get things to market quickly and you want to be able to do it reliably. That's why infrastructure matters. And so the effects on the economy are not only that it, that it obviously impacts uh, construction jobs and, you know, folks that are building roads and bridges. Uh, it impacts the materials because you think about the steel, the rebar, the concrete that goes into all of that. That creates jobs too. But it also creates jobs at firms that are going to benefit from having a much more competitive logistical and, and transportation infrastructure, uh, which is why, you know, UPS, FedEx, uh, firms, firms like that all – all think it's a great idea to do infrastructure, not to mention the average com- commuter and whether you're sitting in Los Angeles traffic or Washington, D.C. traffic or Buffalo, New York traffic. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, and you're losing time, uh, and time is money and productivity, and that has a draining effect on our economy. And we have seen now another drain on our economy. And, and that is somebody playing with their economy heavily in China. Uh, we've talked at length about China's currency manipulation. Even Donald Trump gets in the game while benefiting from it, ironically. Um, but, you know, uh, you, you would dare say uh, a second most important item on this to-do list would be to deter and penalize China's currency manipulation. Uh, this, again, is in the hands of Congress. And this is an area where a Republican majority in the House could actually enjoy this because this is a time for them to press the administration on such an issue. I think that's exactly right, Leslie. And if you think about it, and if you're a conservative and you're like, well, if something's draining out $30 billion from our economy every month, wouldn't I want to take a look at that? Uh, and that's exactly what, what China's policies do. We, we, ha- we average about a $30 billion trade deficit every month with China. And, and that has to be paid somehow, and it's paid with jobs. It's paid with investments that are occurring elsewhere in the world rather than the United States. And, you know, coincidentally, it's, it's enriching the Chinese government, and the Chinese government's building more naval vessels, and they're now putting them in the Bering Sea and the South China Sea uh, and other places. And this is, again, the costs for the United States are going to mount. Um, and I, I want a peaceful coexistence with China, uh, but we also have to hold them accountable. And so far, even though some of this legislation passed the Senate uh, with bipartisan support, I would add, uh, the House of Representatives uh, uh, has, not, has not done its job, and in fact its leaders, including uh, John Boehner uh, and, and Paul Ryan, are, are adamantly opposed to it. As, and it you, then you ask the question, whose side are you on? Definitely not the side of working people, but why are you, why are you choosing the side of the Chinese government rather than a lot of small and mid-sized manufacturers in Ohio, Wisconsin, and other states uh, that, that, are, you know, that are very competitive, but they can't compete with the Chinese government? That's why we need to step in, hold them accountable, make sure there's truly a, a free market there, uh, and move forward. But, but yeah, another thing that has not gotten done uh, by, by this Congress that, we, that would make a difference. I, I want to, you know, 
But we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to touch a little bit more on the China currency manipulation. I want to talk about something else on the list, and then we're going to talk about uh, China more with regard to their economy, specifically their stock market and, and, and the mess there in China and how that is a bigger problem for we here in the United States. And great piece that you wrote, Scott. We're going to get to that right after this. I'm Leslie Marshall. This is the only true democracy in talk radio. Check out the AAM's website, AmericanManufacturing.org, and follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Paul AAM. Quick break. Back to him. Back to you right after this. Join us, 8886Leslie. Follow me on Twitter to tweet us at Leslie Marshall. He is Scott and Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Follow him on Twitter at Scott Paul AAM. We're talking about a to-do list that Scott and his great folks at the AAM put together and said, hey, here's a to-do list, Congress. Congress didn't get to one of them. First off, tackle America's infrastructure crisis. Secondly, deter and penalize China's currency manipulation. And uh, anything more that we should uh, say about that? I mean, you know, I, I mean, do people even realize if they're paying attention that China's government wiped out four years of the appreciation of their dollar, the yuan, uh, their currency, in just three days, in 72 hours. You know, I, I mean, I mean, ser- seriously, I've, I've never seen anybody, any government, any politician do that much damage in that much time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty stunning. And, you know, mo- most of the, the coverage, as you well know, Leslie, focused on, well, how does this impact your 401k or how does it impact the American stock market? Uh, and very, very little coverage focused on, yeah, what, what is this going to do to the productive sector of our economy, and, and what are some of the, you know, when we peel back all the layers of the Chinese economy, what do we end up with, And which, which is a really interesting question, and, and will have a lot of impact for, uh, for folks who work in factories, but also uh, on the American economy in, in years to come, and a lot of folks know precious little about it. Um, I want to talk about the third item, and these are the top three, and I would agree with you. Open foreign markets, but enforce the rules. How hard is that, right? I mean, uh, you know, when you, when you look at trade agreements, when you look at trade policy, the impact on our economy and certainly the impact on our flow of goods, the location of production and jobs, which certainly affects, you know, Americans, the majority of Americans, the working class. Yeah, it sure does, and, and as you know, Leslie, and we, we had a we had a lot of conversations about this, and I know that you uh, you focused on this uh, quite a bit. You know, there was this big trade debate, and and uh, Congress and President Obama came together and passed what we call fast track authority. Uh, and so, if you want to call that an accomplishment, that's actually something that they got done, but not without controversy, in part because. You know, there's a, there's a lot of promises that get made, and and as as, as we point out in the piece, and as you, as you mentioned, uh, it, it 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 it's about making sure that other countries are honoring the commitments they make to us. 
in trade deals, which is one of the reasons why NAFTA doesn't work particularly well. It's one of the reasons why we have such problems uh, with, with China right now. And so as we look forward, there are a lot of reasons to be skeptical about, uh, about the administration's trade agenda and the way that it's going to play out. And I just want to – and I think this is something that, that y- your listeners will understand. I want to talk about automobiles in Japan because we, we may be doing a free trade agreement with Japan now through the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And free trade is supposed to be a, about reciprocity. That is, if I open your market, you open uh, – if I open my own market, you open yours, and we'll all be better off. Well, let's look at automobiles. You know, last year, we shipped a grand total of about 22,000 automobiles to Japan from the United States, from all makers in the United States. But we had about 22,000 vehicles that we exported to Japan. And Japan exported 1.4 million vehicles to the United States. And, and that doesn't even count the vehicles that the Japanese companies make in the United States of America, which I'm all for. But 1.4 million to 22,000 doesn't sound like reciprocity to me. And then there's nothing that's being negotiated in this free trade agreement that's going to dramatically improve that. So I got to wonder, you know, if we're giving away more access to our market, what are we getting in return? And I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical about that, Leslie. Very fair question. Um, speaking of, is that what you think, I mean, to be specific, I mean, you know, you even have admitted opening foreign markets to U.S. goods is a good thing. But when you look at trade deals, and certainly there are going to be additional trade packs in the future, right? Um, you know, you and I have talked about this. Uh, the AAM tries to drive this point home that extra attention has to be given to America's manufacturing sector because manufacturing is still recovering from the huge job losses, from the closures of so many plants. And, um, you know, you, you say much of this, if not, uh, you know, majority of it, is due to the government's unwillingness to stop unfair trade practices. How do you have a balance with things like Trans-Pacific Partnership, with things like Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership, TTP, uh, TPP, and then TTIP, uh, how, how do you have such language to protect the manufacturing base of this nation? It's a very good question, and one of the ways is to, to, is to take a page right out of Ronald Reagan's playbook. And I know that sounds shocking, but look, he was a guy who, who believed in reciprocity. So... Um, you know, if, if you want access to the U.S. market, you got to give us access to, to your market, or you gotta you got to move some jobs here to the United States. And uh, it's something he did with semiconductors, with cars, with some other things. Uh, and look, it wasn't it wasn't perfect. I'll be the first to admit that. Um, but but that's. That's how he did it, and he was willing to threaten access to the U.S. market. And All right, Scott, hold that thought because I don't want people to miss this. When we come back, I want to hear again what Reagan did and what you think we should do now with these trade deals to protect manufacturing and American jobs. So we'll be back right after this, folks. We're talking with Scott and Paul from the AAM, and we are talking about things that Congress should do because we know they're not doing anything And they need to address a lot of the issues that we were talking about this past half of the hour. Their to-do list this fall should be tackle America's infrastructure crisis, deter and penalize China's currency manipulation, and open foreign markets but enforce the rules. Before the break, Scott was telling us how Ronald Reagan would have done this and that he thinks that everybody left and right should take a cue from the Ronald Reagan handbook, if you will, on uh, international trade and trade agreements. 
Right. Yeah, as strange as it may sound, Leslie, you, you know, he's a guy who supported free markets, who was no fan of, uh, of of unions or the labor movement, and had many, you know, many political wars with the Democrats. Uh, but but on trade, you know, he was pretty reasonable, and uh, and he insisted on reciprocity. And so I think there is a pathway forward. And I don't, you know, I I don't like any time that another country goes into crisis or something happens but uh something happens like that that could potentially cause pain but but i will say that what's been happening in china uh you know shows us and, and gives us an opportunity to kind of change course uh and the chinese government says it wants to make reforms wants to get more free market oriented uh and, and from my perspective that's a good thing and if we you know if if, if they need outside pressure from uh, from us on currency, then then we ought to do that uh, because sometimes that's what it takes, and and it's certainly something that uh, Reagan did with uh, Japan and and Europe on currency, uh, and with Japan on autos, uh, and 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 for a while it, it it did make a difference. I also want to talk about, as I mentioned, China's stock market, and uh, first of all, so people understand or people you know haven't been paying attention to this holidays coming may take some time off to you know sit and listen to programs like this that they don't normally have time to in their jobs if you know they're tied to their desk explain to folks um and i know you'll do it in layperson terms scott but um how uh, the china the chinese stock market is a mess right now first and then we'll talk about how that can bring about and possibly will bigger problems for us here in america yeah, it, it's a very good question. And so this, the, the China stock markets, and it has multiple stock markets, are, are vastly different than the American exchanges. There's not nearly as much transparency, access to information. And a lot of Chinese people who have come into money uh, have, have, have decided that uh, it makes sense for them to invest it into the into the into the Chinese uh, into the Chinese stock market to try to make money, and they sometimes do this kind of blindly uh, or or with that without all the information uh, that they should. But there's been an incredible amount of investment in the stock market over the last couple of years, and as a result, the indexes have just you know have, have shot upward. Well. You know, a, a little over you know a month ago, trouble began brewing, and realized that a lot of the bets on the stock market are are, are backed only by debt, uh, which is not a good thing. And in a lot of ways, it looked similar to the U.S. stock markets uh, prior to the crash of 1929. And again, you know, the crash wow. that we saw uh, just a few years ago. And so, and so, what happened is that the indexes plunged. Um, and and that sent shockwaves around because China's got such a big consumer market. And so if I don't know if you looked at your 401k plan any time or the last the last month, but I sure did. And you could see it moving up and down. And it was it was uh, the, the it, you know the, the the news in China rattled the U.S. markets. And so what what we're uncovering is that you know a lot of this investment in China was backed by debt, just as it kind of was in that in the housing market that, that boiled over into the stock market in the United States. Uh, just in 2007, 2008, 2009, uh, and there is a there's a massive change underway. Uh, but the the Chinese government is still intervening in the stock market, trying to uh, uh, trying to put some liquid assets uh, into it uh, to to stabilize it a little bit. Um, 
but it does, it does not portend well for the for necessarily uh, for the Chinese economy uh, coming up. And we've talked about House of Cards before, but but this is literally the definition of a House of Cards because it is uh, uh, it's it's very uh, very unstable, very much built on debt, uh, and very much uh, built their economy is very much built on the idea that they can export their problems to other countries uh, in the forms of just propping up their manufacturing sector. Uh, and, and we've talked about that. That's had a huge impact in our heartland and other places. Uh, and, and I think we're going to be seeing, seeing more of that potentially in the coming weeks and months. The problem with this, and there are many, but so that people understand, one, this is technically the Chinese government literally trying to bail out of its own stock market, right? Yeah, yeah, that that that's right. I mean, one of the strategies instead of uh, letting uh, let, letting investors swallow a lot of these losses um, is to maintain this facade. Uh, but but it's not going to be uh, sustainable uh, for them to do that and to avoid the very difficult situations uh, that, that we've all had to make in the United States, including. As you know, you know lots of layoffs of people back in 2008, 2009, and the the difference is uh, what what you know we we have democratic change in the United States. Uh, in China, you know it's a dictatorship, and they don't want to revolt in the streets. They don't want unhappy people. They don't want unhappy workers. They want people spending and working uh, and, and ignoring some of those problems. And so they have a different political calculation uh, than we would uh, in the U.S. But, uh, it, but it spills over into our economy, and it affects the factory worker uh, because the, the Chinese government intervention can uh, push our exports out uh, and push their imports into our market. Uh, and that can close down factories and put downward pressure on wages here and result in pink slips. Uh, but it, it will uh, – so, so there, there, there may be some dicey times ahead, and, and, and the impact goes well beyond, well beyond what we see with the volatility uh, in the U.S. stock market uh, for the last couple of days. The, I think the impact could be much more profound than that. Oh, ab- absolutely. Um, when – China, and we have seen this, they devalue its currency. They did it you know, earlier, just a few weeks ago, the beginning of August, and uh, their currency is the yuan. They, in a sense, did a trick that you talked about and referred to as an old mercantilist policy trick. And what you wrote is that they offshored economic problems to other, case, to other places, and in this case, to our American factories. Connect the dots so that people yeah. understand that. Yeah, it's a uh, very, very simply the you know the the you know you're going to buy a good that that all things other kind of equal you're 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 likely going to buy a product that costs a little less and so uh, what happens is when China devalues its currency, uh, it makes its imports coming into the United States even cheaper, even cheaper. Uh, and, and conversely, it makes our exports going into the China into the Chinese market even more expensive, uh, and so it makes it more likely that they'll be able to sell more products here, uh, and it makes it also more likely that we will be selling fewer products in China. The net result of that is obviously uh, going to be felt at the factory level 
and, you know, factories maybe laying off workers. We've already seen that in the steel industry. Uh, it, it's, it's had a big impact there. Uh, we're going to be exporting less, so that maybe have, a, have an impact on exporting firms. And we've seen a lot of uh, corporate earnings challenges uh, from Caterpillar and other companies that, that depend on exports. Uh, and so it has an impact, a real impact, uh, on, on the economy uh, in the United States. And I, I guess one of the other concerns that we have, and, and this, this is getting really wonky, and I apologize, Leslie, but, you know, the Federal Reserve is going to be meeting, and they're going to decide whether they're going to raise interest rates or not. And if they do raise interest rates, that has the effect of increasing the value of the dollar even more. Uh, and so it'll make our exports even less competitive. Uh, and so uh, it could mean enormous challenges for the manufacturing sector uh, in our country, which is still the bread and butter for, for a lot of people, a lot of communities uh, around these 50 states. When we come back, we're going to talk more about this. We're also going to talk about some of those candidates on the right and their aims. We're taking aim at China. We're going to talk more with Scott about this. Share some of your tweets, and we have some calls on the line as well. And if you're holding, hang tight. Coming to you at 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. If you want to join us, one more segment after this break with Scott and Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Follow him on Twitter at ScottPaulAAM, his website, AmericanManufacturing.org. Back after this. President of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, Scott and Paul. We talked about Congress's autumn to-do list. We talked about Scott's great piece, China's stock market mess belies bigger problems for the United States. We also need to talk about what candidates are saying uh, and, uh, you know, talk more about his piece before we do that. But let's take some calls. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Darren is in Indiana on line three. Darren, I understand you were sharing with um, Andrew, who screens our calls as one of our producers, that um, you're worried about the purchasing power of our dollar, our currency, correct? That is correct. And is that your question for Scott? Well, yes. I'm, I'm, okay, I, I've been watching and I've been listening, and I know a little bit about markets. I'm not an expert on it, but it seems to me that the globalization of our economy, the world, the global markets, We've overextended ourselves. We've, it's like the credit card. We've, we've borrowed so much that it's weakened the dollar and that we're trying to draw back in those dollars from overseas by raising the rates, but it's going to hurt us in our trade. And everybody else, like China, is, uh, they can produce what we can produce and even faster and quicker because they got all the factories there. And, uh, I just, I'm like, where are we going to go from here? I mean, compared to the U.S. dollar currently today, compared to 1912, it's not as, as, you can't buy as much with our current U.S. dollars. So I'm, so I guess my question is, is where are we going to go from here? I, I, I don't see it, the outlook doesn't look good. Scott? Yeah, it's a, it's a complicated question. I'm glad, uh, Darren uh, brought it up, and I want to let him know I'm a fellow Hoosier. Uh, was 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 raised in Indiana, so I, I know how the economy hums there. And you know, it's it's something that's vexing policymakers. And so, 
the, the Federal Reserve is like, well, do we raise rates? Because it will make our exports less competitive, which will probably increase our trade deficit. And when, when you look at all the problems bedding the U.S. economy today, uh, you know, relatively speaking, compared to the last couple of years, uh, consumer prices are pretty steady. Uh, in some cases, they're even lower. Uh, but what's not increasing as fast are, are, are wages and, you know, kind of paychecks that are going into people's house, into people's pockets, so they have more money uh, to, to buy more things in the economy. Uh, and also, what's, what's not is doing as well as it should be is the manufacturing sector, which is a big part of Indiana's economy, and it could be could be doing even better. And, and that's precisely because even though the dollar goes up and down, the relative value of the dollar compared to the to, compared to the rest of the world is exceptionally strong. In fact, it's probably too strong. Um, and so ra- raising rates by the Fed will make it even stronger. And the point that I was making with Leslie earlier about the action that the Chinese government took to devalue their own currency, that, that does part of the Fed's work for it. Um, and so it, it creates huge challenges. And you know, if if we want more balance in our our economy, and we want yeah, we want less debt, uh, strengthening the manufacturing sector is a great way to do that because it tends to lower budget deficits, tends to lower trade deficits, uh, tends to increase the the the, the earning power uh, of of American workers, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm hoping to see that day. But we got a long way to go. Uh, thank you for the call there in Indiana. And let's go next to the Bronx with uh, Michael on line two. Michael, question or comment for Scott? Michael? Can Is you Mike... hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Good afternoon. There we go. All right. Hello, Leslie. Hello, Scott. Try to go as fast as I can. But the ultimate thing that Congress needs to do, first off, let's just narrow it down. And who's the problem? It's mainly the Republicans and Congress, and they need to stop farting around. Because going back to what you said about the infrastructures, all right, we have a lot of roads that are heavily damaged and are in great danger as you travel across them. I cannot believe and I will not accept that these Republicans in Congress say we don't have money to fund for infrastructures and they, don't, they want to disfund it unfund that. They don't want to fund um, Planned Parenthood. They want to cut this and cut that. And instead, they want to have, they say we have a whole bunch of money because they want to start another war. I mean, what is going on here? I mean, when you go back to the Iraq war, and this is a question for Scott, I'm guessing that that had a negative impact, not just on the U.S. economy, but the global economy. So the big question is, how the hell is it that no one has learned any valuable lessons from that great mistake? Scott? Yeah, Michael, good, good questions. And, and you know, regardless of what one thinks of the uh, Iraq War, uh, the fact that it was not paid for, uh, that it was done through borrowing, uh, certainly had an impact on the U.S. economy. It made private capital less available uh, because a lot of that borrowing was 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 soaked up through the through the public debt. Uh, I think that's I think that's 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 one important point to, to be made. The second on infrastructure is that yeah, it it is largely a problem with within the Republican Party. That said, there are some Republicans who who want to make progress, but what they have a hard time wrapping their heads around is is the following fact: the gas tax has not been raised for well over a decade. In fact, you know, two decades. 
Meanwhile, you know, the price of gas overall has gone up, the price of fixing roads has gone up, and the fuel efficiency of vehicles has gone up. And so that means that, that relatively less is being collected uh, in, in gas tax revenues that are designed to fix our roads and bridges, uh, and the needs are expanding every year. And so, you, you know, if you even have a basic understanding of economics, that, that we aren't even keeping pace with, with our current needs, much less our, our future needs. And unfortunately, some folks in the Tea Party have a hard time understanding that. And, and I'm very conservative. I think that you should, uh, if you want services, you should pay for them. I mean, that's, a, that's a pretty conservative principle. And so, you know, we all depend on good roads uh, and good bridges. And Leslie and I had a great conversation about that, but they have to be paid for. And, and I just wish that Absolutely. The party members would understand that as well. We have some tweets uh, on this when we uh, asked or, you know, stated that some call the China meltdown a correction and that you say it's just another glimpse into the crazy Chinese economy and asked for thoughts. Ji Yun Fan and News tweeted that our national debt is weakening our dollar and affects our sovereignty to make a decision to raise rates uh, like half a point. Um, I'm assuming she's talking about America's, not China, China's, or maybe she's talking about China's. No offense, just with her name, it could be. Uh, Scott? Yeah, well, well, right, and it's, it's. I would say that's a that's a little uh, it's a little misguided because you know the, again the dollar is relatively strong to almost every other currency you're going to find uh, around the world. Uh, in fact, it, it might be a little too strong. Uh, the percentage of our public debt uh, and, and budget deficit compared to the size of our economy uh, is, is pretty stable. It's still, it may be a little high, but it's not in any crisis com- uh, proportion uh, right now. And, and I think our bigger problem, honestly, is, is this lack of investment uh, that we've seen in, in infrastructure. Uh, I think that's a much greater problem. I, th- I think the fact that wages are stagnant is, is, a, is a much greater right. problem. Uh, too, and so I, I just wish that some of our policy focus uh, would be on, on, on attacking those issues uh, rather than on trying to form some reality that's never going to happen. <laughs> we uh, and uh, and we need Congress to listen, Leslie. Uh, one last thing, and just a sentence from you, Scott. Good or bad that GOP candidates are taking aim at China as we're watching the U.S. markets tumble? I, I'm glad they're doing it. Good, but we we need to see them fine-tune their message a little bit and not be so offensive like Donald Trump. For I, I agree with you there. And if elected, do something about it. Don't just use it to get elected, right? Uh, Scott and Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, has been our guest. Follow him on Twitter at ScottPaulAAM, the website AmericanManufacturing.org.